Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I'm stoked. This is a company I've known for my entire life. We have Abed Rizvi. He's the CEO of Arizona Beverage Co., perhaps best known for Arizona Iced Tea. But they've expanded into some other things recently, uh, specifically hard tea. I want to talk about that. But also, I just love talking with leaders of companies of large, ubiquitous brands about how they do it, what it's like. I mean, Arizona is a really interesting company because it's so big, but it's also a relatively lean company given its size. I just want to talk about all this stuff, about what it's like to be to be working for Arizona, a company that's so well known. But Abed, how are you doing? Thanks for joining. Very well. Happy New Year to you, Kale. Happy New Year. First, let's start with you. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is according to my research on LinkedIn, but you joined in 2016. Is that correct? That is correct. What were you doing before you joined Arizona? I mean, I was a consultant for a short period of time after undergrad and grad. Um, and then I was in investment banking for most of my career. Actually got to know Arizona first and foremost as a banker calling on Arizona and got to know Don and Arizona extremely well through those years. And then as I'm, I'm assuming you're familiar, you know, Arizona had gone through a, um, through a transaction where um, Don ended up buying out his partner. So I was... Uh, I was his advisor in that process. And then once that dust settled, he asked me to come over full time and uh, frankly, go after some of the growth opportunities that we had missed um, during those litigation years. So why don't you actually, I feel like people know who Don is. We're talking about Don Voltaggio. He's the the founder of Arizona, but he's a, he's a character that I've seen him quoted in many articles. But if you want to just give, a, I'd say, an abridged history of the company for those that don't know, why don't you take a stab at it? Uh, look, I mean, Don is a classic, and Don Voltaggio, um, as you correctly uh, uh, highlighted, uh, is a classic American success story. Um, you know, here's a gentleman who didn't go to college, you know, right out of high school, took on a job, um, originally worked on a, on a beer truck, um, and from there built out a beer distribution business. While he was building out a beer distribution business, saw there was an opportunity in the non-alk space, in addition to um, the alcoholic world. And the, the alk um, background that Don had is sort of interesting because I know you at the outset mentioned Arizona Hard, which is uh, in some ways that is a part of the consumer world that Don Voltaggio was extremely familiar with, has been very familiar with throughout his career. It's just kind of interesting that you know, we became as big as we did in the non-alc space, even though Don had started out his career actually in the alcohol world originally. Uh, but, you know, 1992 is when Arizona was launched. And, um, you know, Don had been in business for, you know, almost a couple of decades till that point in time. And a lot of people talk about how Arizona was an overnight success. And, you know, Don Voltaggio very often correctly points out that it was, Yes, it was an overnight success, but it was 20 years of nights, right? And then suddenly it kind of, <laughs> uh, it hit and it hit extremely well. And, uh, you know, the company, and again, this is this predates my time um, here, but, you know, pretty much Don sold every case he could make that summer. And then from there on, it was, um, it was just, you know, a rocket ship and it continued to go from, you know, success to success over many, many years to come after that. One of the things that people always talk about when they talk about Arizona, at least the original product, is that, and this is, you know, I've read some quotes, and I'm sure you can talk about this more, but it's that the the product branding was essentially its marketing. Like, it was such a loud can, such a big can. Was it just sort of getting the traction over decades 
in convenience stores that ultimately led it to be a success or what like what was it that led it to sort of that that point of velocity where it became so ubiquitous yeah look so um uh, you know don because he had serviced so many retail outlets personally literally packing out coolers he had observed consumers very very up close and he knew how consumers were making their decisions you know he uh, you know Don is an incredibly intuitive um, individual, and he would stand literally by the coolers and see how people were looking at the different decisions uh, or different uh, um, uh, offerings, and then making a decision on what they were going to grab right there and then, um, and and whether consume with their sandwich or walk out of the bodega with uh, in, in their hands. And he realized that people shop with their eyes, right? And you know, the, when when Arizona was launched, and frankly. For every single thing that we have done as a company, there's three pillars that we always focus on. One of them is make it taste good. The second one is make it look good. good. And the third one is price it fair. And you know what you have to understand is those three build on each other. Because if it looks good, it'll pop on the shelf. So if you, when you're out there shopping with your eyes, you're going to go, oh, that thing really, that's interesting. You know, vibrant colors you know, sort of bold graphics. But then if it's price fair, even if you haven't tried it before, you'll try it. Because, hey, you know, I mean, again, as you know, we're, we're, we're known for our iconic 99 cent can. And if it's 99 cents, you're probably going to give it a try if it looks like a pretty attractive package. But when you try it and it tastes good, then you kind of come back for more and again and again and again. And I think that's how you form a habit of consuming Arizona beverages because we stuck with the, the those three particular pillars and built our entire business around it. And that has been true for pretty much every single uh, item that we have launched. As you said at the outset, we're known for our iced teas, but we're truly a, a beverage company. You know, some of our juice drinks sell as well as some our, our, our iced teas. I mean, our green tea is what we're known for. But our mucho mango, our watermelon, our fruit punch are extremely uh, strong sellers for us in many, many parts of the of the country. I'm probably jumping around a little bit, but you brought up something that I really want to know from your perspective. Um, and this is more of an opinion than it is. I don't think you can know this beyond your own company. But do you think it's possible to be a startup beverage now and be as affordable. You you guys are afforded a certain economy of scale because you're so ubiquitous, you have those things in. But as a startup, I feel like you're seeing more and more companies that are more premium. And I imagine that's just because of the necessities of the business. Do you think it's possible to have that price advantage anymore when you're just getting out the gate? Kale, as you said, hard for me to speculate on that. Um, I think it is hard now just because getting onto the shelf is harder than it's ever been before. And as a result, a lot of companies end up spending a lot of money before they even get to the shelf. The, the, the good thing about Arizona when Don launched the brand was because he had his own distribution business, right? He was going to a lot of these stores already with his beers that he was distributing for other companies. So it was much easier for him to ask his own salespeople to say, hey, when you go to that bodega down the street, as you're selling the beers that you're carrying, maybe sell them this iced tea. And you know what? Make sure you you put this in the iced tea cooler next to a Snapple or some of the other offerings that are out there. So it was very easy for him to at least see if this this idea that he had would catch fire. And when it did, because again in New York it, it caught fire. And then from what you know, the good thing about New York is it's not it's not very 
easy to be successful in, in New York, but if you are successful in New York, you can then replicate that in the rest of the country a little bit easier than you would if you had started somewhere else, because New York is such a microcosm of the entire country, and I would argue the entire world in many ways. You know, I go to a bodegas now and I see it's just smattered with a bunch of different new beverages, and I'm like, well, maybe one of these will see the rest of the country, and it might be very good. We'll see. Well, um, but, I I think, to go- but I think it's an interesting point, Kill, that you mentioned, right? Because some of these companies may end up on the shelf, but because they have made all those investments and, may, and spent as much money as they have had, even if they get to the shelf, they're usually not priced at a price point where they can really be successful. So it's a, you know, again, those three pillars are pretty critical to Arizona's success. Yeah, I agree. I think that that's like, as someone who lives in New York, I see a $7 beverage and I'm like, I'm not going to spend that. But I, I see a 99 cent Arizona and I'll get that. Let's go to 2016 because you mentioned at the outset that you, one of one of your mandates was that you wanted to ramp up, I think you said product expansion or pro- opportunities that, that weren't otherwise there before. What were they? So what, what were you focused on? Was it these other flavors that you were talking about? Or yeah, give me a, a sense. Yeah, look, so... Um you know, like like most things, Kale, it's never one thing, right? There's a lot of things that were available to us. Uh, you know, you live in New York, so you probably see Arizona everywhere. But what you have to understand that even though for a company that has been around over three decades, there is significant white space available to us right here in the United States. So if you go to most QSRs, you wouldn't find Arizona in there, right? Just because a lot of the large companies like Cokes and Pepsis have contracts, which very often preclude them from carrying um, our products. Uh, if you go to a bunch of, um, you know, uh, stadiums or, um, you know, these uh, uh, concert arenas, etc. Again, very often that is contracted business and Arizona isn't in there. So long-winded way of getting a simple point, which is there's still significant upside available to us right here under our feet in the US, where already are a very well-known brand. But beyond that, you know, rest of the world looks towards US and US brands and, and looks at them kind of aspirationally. So one of the things that I did uh, right right at the outset was because I was an investment banker and I had relationships in the in the consumer world around um, definitely North America, but even beyond North America, one of my first calls was to a company that I knew extremely well through my banking years up in Canada. Um, and they're one of the largest juice producers up there. But I knew, knowing what I knew about them and knowing what I knew about uh, Arizona is that their plants could run our product. And so I picked up the phone, called them up and said, hey, you know, this is a complete win-win for you and for us because we can ship you the ingredients. You can run it on the same lines that you currently run your product on, um, put it on the same trucks that you distribute your current products on and put on the same shelves that your products are currently uh, uh, merchandised on. And as a result, you know, it would be an incremental revenue opportunity for you, for the retailer, for us, and most importantly, for the Canadian consumer who hasn't really been able to enjoy our beverages as much. So that is just one kind of small example of the kinds of things that we went after. But even in the U.S., we were not as well represented at that point in time and not in every um, retailer that we could have been in. And part of the reason was, uh, you know, the company had gone through almost a decade of litigation um, because of the, and, you know, it's very hard to attract really good talent uh, when you have a little bit of that cloud hanging over the, over the company. So, you know, we did bring on some talent in sales and otherwise, and uh, were able to penetrate a lot more accounts and a lot more channels that we weren't as present in 
uh, before 2016. How do you go about circumventing those exclusivity deals, especially with QSRs that only hold Coca-Cola or Pepsi or something like that? Uh, look, KO, it's very, it's very hard, uh, if not close <laughs> to impossible, right? Because again, you know, some of these uh, companies throw a lot of money at these uh, at these companies to to have those exclusive, uh, you know, exclusivity um, um, kind of or exclusive rights, I should say, um, to not carry any of the competitive products. Um, but you know what? I wouldn't name names, but we've been told by multiple QSRs that, look, I know that my customers come into my shop and buy a sandwich in my shop, but then go across the street and grab an Arnold Palmer or an Arizona iced tea um, to, to consume with the sandwich they bought in my shop. And I lost that revenue. What were your initial I guess, lessons, I would say, from from Canada. One thing, whenever I talk with companies that expand internationally, it's always, and Canada is pretty similar, not identical to US, but, you know, culturally different countries glom onto different products in different ways. Did Canadians know instantly it was Arizona? They've seen it in New York, so they bought it. Or were, were there any stepping stones of, of doing that type of international expansion? You know, so, so Gail, generally, you know, uh, I, I know that a lot of the larger companies rely extremely heavily on consumer panels and, you know, um, consumer insights. And, you know, so we believe we listen to our consumers. Right. And what I can tell you is. Globally, and, you know, no matter where you go in the world, people like good tasting beverages. That's just the way us humans have been. You know, we've evolved over, over God knows at this point, a very long period of time, but we like good tasting beverages. It doesn't matter where you are. And if it, you know, and those three pillars that I mentioned earlier on the conversation still apply here, right? If, it, if you make it look good, taste good, and you price it fair, people will, people will come on to it. Uh, we really, really uh, work hard at making every single one of our offerings taste great. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the beverage world, but very often you have flavor houses that work with these beverage companies. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, they come in, they, sh- you know, let's just say I'm making this up. You wanted to launch a new flavor and we'll give them some general guidance and they come in and they sh- show out their, their first iteration. You know, sometimes we joke that the first five or six iterations could just be thrown out without even trying. We go through sometimes. 30, 40, 50 iterations before we launch um, uh, any particular new flavor. Um, you know, literally, and I'm not exaggerating this on, on this point at all, unless, you know, some, some, frankly, Don personally does, you know, does not launch anything, you know, without all of us tasting the beverage and agreeing around a table that this is the best thing that we could have come up with for that particular skew. So then how do you decide if you, if it's all about just you all agree on it, it, it sounds like it's more... How do I say this? Uh, you know, you're, you're more trying to get an essence than you are trying to get a data set of of, of consumer sentiments. Would that, would that be a correct thing of what you're saying? Yeah, look, so, I mean, again, I mean, it, it wouldn't launch without us kind of all agreeing that it is the best tasting beverage that we could put out there. But, you know, again, we're a New York-based company. So just within our own offices, we have a microcosm of all the different demographics that you can look for. And we, you know, once we believe it's ready for prime time, we share it with a lot of the folks in the office and say, hey, what do you think? You know, does it, you know, and sometimes people love it and sometimes people have some unique insights into it, whether it's a sweetness level, whether it's a juice level, whether it's something else. And we tweak it as necessary to make sure that, look, we're launching something that has the best chance of success out there in the marketplace. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. 
So how do you choose when it is that you're going to go into a new flavor? It seems like you don't have, you have a portfolio, but it's not an insane portfolio, I would say. Um, and so when, and like, I, this can go into us talking about the hard teas. What, what made you say one day, we're going to go into hard teas now? You know, so it's okay. I mean, there's in like any kind of innovation, right? There is, uh, there's multiple buckets of innovation, right? So we, we are, you know, we are obviously, our, our core business continues to be the non-alc uh, or non-alcoholic beverages. Obviously, we're innovating within that particular dimension um, because whether it's a tea flavor, whether it's a juice flavor, we're always tweaking and make, making sure that we have uh, as vibrant a portfolio as one can have in our core. Then there is new categories entirely, right, that we could go into. Now, generally speaking, we want to go for categories that are really big because, you know, sometimes to... The innovation amount, I guess I should say differently, the amount of work that goes into launching something new is not that much different for a big category than it is for a small category. Um, So we wanted to go always for big categories where we can make a difference, where we have a reason for being. Um, You know, we went into the fruit snacks business because, again, you know, um, we, we thought that was an interesting space where, Frankly, some of the competition wasn't as vibrant, wasn't as flavor forward as we could make it. So we went into that category. That's obviously is, is um, you know, uh, an adjacency in some ways because it's the center of the store um, of most of the stores that are non-alc beverages are sold in. But um, one of the conversations we had, and this is reasonably early on in my time here, was with, uh, was with Miller Coors. And we thought, hey, you know what, maybe we should think about um, expanding our non-alc lineup into the alcoholic um, variation, so to speak. So we originally did the Arnold Palmer line, which is the half and half, you know, half tea, half lemonade uh, version of our, um, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, it's, it's called the Arnold Palmer because the legendary golfer is known for having done, you know, mixed the half tea and lemonade um, for consumption at, in golf courses after a, a nice round. Long story short, we launched the Arnold Palmer spiked uh, brand in the U.S. And that um, did well for us, partly because of that success in the U.S. Um, the Molson Coors guys, the same company, Molson Coors is the parent company to Miller Coors. Um, they reached out to us and said, hey, they were interested in doing an Arizona hard up in Canada. Um, so we originally did Arizona hard up in Canada and, and that was the hard tea. So our green tea, peach tea, lemon tea uh, with alcohol, both with malt and with vodka were launched in Canada a few years back at this point. And again, were extremely well received. When that happened, we had a lot of our consumers, whether it's social media or elsewhere, reaching out to us and saying, hey, when are you bringing this to the US? Because this is, this is phenomenal. Um, and, you know, you have to also understand a lot of people, you know, we're a 30 plus year old brand at this point, And a lot of people who were, you know, high schoolers, when they started drinking Arizona, love Arizona, are, you know, of that drinking age, which is appropriate, you know, and right now they didn't really have much of an offering available to us, uh, to them, sorry, versus give, given the, the, the other brands in that hard tea category. So they embraced us. And, you know, we launched Arizona Hard in 2023, we're still kind of working through all the distribution agreements to have national footprint. But up till now, it's just been a blowout success for us. Is it easier to test out alcohol in Canada just because it, I don't know. I know about the three tier system in the United States, but I don't know how things work in Canada. Is it relatively easier to get a footprint there? 
Um, it, the whole retail space, particularly for alcoholic beverages, is extremely um, regulated up in Canada. So it's hard to get in there. But at the same time, when you get, go through the hurdles, you get this much wider distribution much faster, if you, if you understand what I'm saying on that front. That makes a lot of sense. Can you talk just about how the reception in the United States has been? I feel like hard soft drinks have been happening for a little bit now. They, they've they reached kind of fever pitched, I'd say about six months, a year ago. Like, what what do you see in terms of demand? Because I, I read somewhere that you, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you want the hard business to represent as much as a quarter of the overall revenue. Is that right? Uh, look, I mean, I think sky's the limit on on that particular category uh, for us. Um, and again, and, and, and you know, non-alt business can continue to grow and the alt business can grow. I mean, we fully expect, because right now, if you look at 2023 numbers, our non-alt business pretty much drove the entire category. You know, so, you know, our non-alt business continues to go um, gangbusters. But on top of that, now we've, we're kind of adding on another growth engine in, in Arizona Hard. Just to give you a frame of reference, I mean, we only launched Arizona Hard um, in kind of, you know, late, or I guess mid to late, so Q2, Q3, uh, 2023. And as you were saying about the three-tier system, it's reasonably complicated in the U.S. Uh, to kind of get, get an entire infrastructure built to get the product onto the distributor's truck and then into the shelf and, you know, and, and then obviously for the consumer to be able to buy it. So as I said earlier, we're still laying, you know, sort of, so we can end up with close to 300 distributors around the country. But, you know, you know, a lot of that has happened over the last few months. So if you think about 2023, we were not, you know, we weren't even represented throughout all the states. We sure as hell didn't have a lot of planograms. Um, you know, if you think about national chains and, and how they operate their planogram, um, you know, where you would be on the shelf, we had none of that. So in the Northeast for 2023, where we were only in the market for a few months, we had less than 17% ACV, uh, which is essentially, a, a, I don't know if you, <laughs> it's like a rough gauge of how um, widely available your product is. And it was less than 17%. And we, we ended up being the number three uh, uh, flavored malt beverage in Northeast. Wow. So, you know, we're right behind Twisted and Mike's. Uh, so despite all the crowded space in a very short period of time with not full penetration, with very little ACV, we're already number three in the Northeast. So if we can build on that momentum, not just in the Northeast, but the rest of the country, I think, um, you know, sky's the limit for hard. Wow, that's amazing. 17% ACV in your number three, you said? Yes, sir. Is the plan for 2024 to be available nationally or what, what are you thinking for the, the rollout? So not only do we expect to be available nationally with our hard teas, um, we have very quickly followed up with some innovations within the, the Arizona hard portfolio. So um, right on the heels of the hard teas, we have launched hard juices and hard lemonades. Uh, those are only available in in the you know, limited um, distribution in the Northeast region. But as we open up the rest of the country, um, you know, those will be following as well. So in 2024, I would be surprised if we don't have national distribution for all three, um, you know, sort of um, subcomponents of heart, which is teas, juices, and lemonades. This is very specific, but I just want to know because I know 
it's weird in New York specifically, but you mentioned how in Canada you launched with both malt and, vo- and vodka-based, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Are you doing that here, or do you have plans to do that here? Because I know if you have a vodka-based beverage in certain states, you can only be sold in spirit stores, and that is a whole can of worms. So w- what's the plan with the U.S. with that? So, Kale, as I said, I you know, the, the way Arizona operates, right, we're, we're extremely entrepreneurial, and we'll go where the consumer is. And we, we know that there is a consumer out there for malt beverages, and we know there's a consumer out there for vodka beverages. Um, malt versus uh, spirit-based um, RTDs are a different animal, uh, not to the consumer. The consumer wouldn't even know the difference because they go to the shelf and they pick one versus the other. But what they don't realize is it's probably coming on a different truck. There's more, there's different taxes associated with it. There's different, uh, uh, you know, rules and regulations around it. So, the likelihood that we'll be following up with a vodka offering is pretty high. Uh, but again, uh, you know, I, I'm not in a position right now to give you any specific dates as to kind of when that will happen. We want to also make sure that we just dis- dis- differentiate and distinguish um, the offering on the shelf from the malt offering. Because again, otherwise, we can confuse the consumer out there. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing more brands try that out. And it's interesting to see how they're trying to differentiate it and how and how it resonates. Um, I wanted to ask, just speaking about resonating, just marketing is something that people often talk about with Arizona, that you traditionally don't spend very much uh, on marketing. Correct me if I'm wrong, in that I think your founder, Don, pretty much said, you know, when you have such a, you know, the, the can itself, the branding itself is the marketing. When you're launching a new product, does that mantra, does that philosophy still stay? Do you put a little bit of marketing behind it? Like, how do you approach marketing when doing these product expansions? So look, I mean, you know, again, in this day and age, Kale, as you know, marketing has taken very different dimensions. Um, you know, we have never had a billboard. Like, I will say this with almost 100% confidence. You will never see an Arizona billboard in Times Square, right? That's just not who we are. Um, you know, going back to our origins, Don has always believed that people make decisions when they get to the shelf, right? So, you know, people are not watching, again, um, I, I know this This may be, uh, I don't want to hurt anybody's advertising, but, you know, we, our, philo- our philosophy has always been that people are not buying uh, any particular brand because they saw a Super Bowl ad. They're buying it because, you know, it's intriguing and they're tried. Because, you know, you may have a Super Bowl ad and people, people may even go pick up your product, but it doesn't taste good if it's not competitively priced, they're not going to keep coming back and buying it over and over again. So back to your original question on marketing dollars, we don't really believe in classic um, advertising, but our advertising is the vibrant product and the quality of the ingredients that we put into every package that we, that we market. Now, having said that, we have a thriving social media presence, right? We have a lot of fans, not just in the US, but globally, who follow Arizona. Arizona actually, and, and this is even to me, uh, as for somebody who was reasonably familiar with Arizona, even before I you know, joined it full time, I am amazed at how much of a lifestyle brand it is. Like, you know, people like wearing our caps and our jackets and, you know, our, 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 we sell plenty of other stuff like skateboards, you know, on our own website. People like our brand. And, you know, as, when you think about you know, do, would, 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 uh, I mean, again, I, I don't want to name competitors' names, but there's plenty of competitors out there, you know, who people wouldn't even think about putting on an apparel linked to that particular brand because it's it's not as exciting. But you will see people wearing our green tea, you know, the 
uh, you know, the, the green jackets with pink flowers and, and, and believe that it's really cool. In fact, um, what's sort of interesting is I think it was the, um, one of the Royal, I think it was a Royal wedding. I think it was, a I think Kate Middleton's uh, sister, Pippa Middleton had worn a dress at the wedding, which a lot of people called the Arizona green tea dress. If you get the chance, <laughs> look it up. Well, I, I wanted to ask you specifically about social media because you guys are very popular on social media. You have this merch that often goes viral on many platforms. Do you have a formula for handling that, or do, is it just a bunch of UGC and the people control it themselves? Like, do you, like how how do you think about social media as a marketing thing, and have you put more investment in it? Look, so we, we do have a. Um, I mean, we have a group uh, in house. We also work with some external folks on 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 really listening to our consumers, right? I mean, um, Don's sons, uh, Wesley and Spencer are pretty active in that particular area, uh, more so that, you know, so, um, you know, we are a very, you know, I mean, we've been around for 30 years, but as far as our relevancy is concerned amongst the young hip crowd, it's as, as strong as it's ever been. And that's because we keep reinventing ourselves. We're always relevant to, to our consumer out there. How do you keep reinventing yourself, I guess? Because I feel like the product has remained relatively steady. You know, so it, it, it's more, I mean, so the product, so in fact, that's a very important point, Kale, that you just mentioned. Some of our comp competitors out there launch a product, you know, let's just say a year or two go by. You know, I think, unfortunately, the accountants get to the uh, the, the R&D folks and they start taking a little bit of quality out, right? And they're like, well, you know, it tastes great even if you take a 5% in you know, a reduction in X or Y or Z. And then two years go by and they take another 5%. And when you look at it over a period of, you know, 10 years, the quality really has been degraded. I can tell you that our quality, the stuff that's in the can or in, in, in our in our bottles is the same liquid that you've ever had before, right? We never take anything out of the quality of, of, of the beverage. So that so that's always 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 top notch. I think some of the competitors kind of go down the slippery slope of taking the quality out and it kind of deteriorates over time. Now that's the liquid. But if you look at the look and feel of it, if you look at our cans, you know, let's just look at our uh, our, our juice cans from now versus 10 years back or 15 years ago you will see a real distinct difference. It's, we keep re reinventing the packaging, making it cool, making it more vibrant, you know, technology changes as well, right? So when we started uh, with our product, you know, there were limited number of colors you can put on a can. You know, now we're working with one can supplier, you know, we use eight colors as opposed to, you know, in some cases it was four colors or five colors in the past. So again, the more vibrancy that's av available to us, the more vibrant we make our product. I mean, Don jokes sometimes that it costs just as much to print an ugly can as it does to print a pretty can. So might as well print a pretty one. I mean, yeah, that's one other thing is when you're focused so much on value, when you get these no these new technologies, how do you know when it's important to add a new color that might cost more? Or do they generally, like, how do you do that cost-benefit analysis? You know, so, I mean, uh, it's interesting. I mean, uh, adding additional color doesn't really cost anything. Um, so, you know, I mean, and that's why we were, we are still somewhat surprised that there's a lot of companies out there that don't use all of the colors that are available to them, because why wouldn't you, right? Because you want your product to be, and again, what's the other thing which you would see is that if you go to a, um, a bodega cooler, and you have an entire shelf of Arizona, you can tell that they're all Arizona products. But if you put any two next to each other, they're still very distinct. 
Like our green tea can versus our lemon tea can versus our Arnold Palmer can are completely different look and feel, right? It's not just the same bland background with a different flavor description on it. It actually looks like a completely different offering, although it's under the Arizona umbrella. So we do spend a lot of time looking at every single can and every single package to make sure it stands on its own as a value proposition. So again, back to the point about, uh, as I said, about the coolers, people are making decisions right there at the cooler, right? You don't want somebody to grab something and walk out of the store and go, oh, I didn't realize this was unsweetened. I didn't realize this was the half and half. I wanted the original. There's no confusion in the Arizona lineup as to what you're picking up and what you're purchasing at the at the counter. We're just about running out of time, but I wanted to ask, you've mentioned a, you know, a few different things that, that you're focused on. Specifically, it sounds like the the more the national launch of the the hard line are there any other things we should expect to see in the year to come will we you know are you focused on the same sort of you know distribution expansion that you mentioned earlier or what just what are you thinking about it looks so um let me kind of break it down into into a, a few categories I, I would say you should think you should and again look maybe even i don't know whether your podcast listeners are primarily us or international but we're definitely interested in international expansion as well so just like i had explained to you the uh, the Canadian licensing arrangement that we did with one particular partner, you will probably see us do more of those around the world uh, because our brand is vibrant around the world. And, you know, at the end of the day, for us to be competitively priced in the, you know, in any continent, it's best that we work with a local producer uh, rather than shipping stuff from the U.S. to to all these countries. So I think you will see us doing a lot more licensing around the around the world. Um Alcohol is a big area of focus for us, um, Arizona Hard in particular, but I think you will see some other innovation coming out of our company as well. And then the third area is, um, I would say, healthy hydration, broadly defined, because again, the consumer is evolving there. And, you know, we launched a um, uh, an isotonic in partnership with Marvel. I don't know if you've seen that yet, uh, but it's called LXR. Um, and, um, you know, it's available... Frankly, I think it's available in most CVSs around the country right now, but uh, there's a mega launches coming out with some of the uh, large C stores um, here in short order for for the spring resets. So you'll see that product everywhere. Um, And then in addition to that healthy hydration isotonic, which is a lower calorie, um, low caloric option versus some of the other, uh, other brands out there, you will also see us playing in the what I would, again, call the broadly defined seltzer category. Okay, really? We might see some bubbly things? Yes, sir. I'm excited to drink that. Well, Abid, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks for diving into all the various things I want to ask about. Uh, look, my pleasure. And again, uh, thank you for taking the time and hope uh, I wish a happy new year to you and all of your listeners. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. 